Good morning, church. I'm excited for our final part of our Family Table series. Um, We've gone through and we've learned about some of the problems that we are facing. We learned that there's only 30% of families that are regularly having worship together. I want to thank you, Kristen and Josh. That was great. Um, and, and I love the traditions that each of our families have. We learned about traditions in this first sermon as well and how important they are to the faith practices of our kids. We also learned that there's over 72% of Australian young adults who attended church in their teens that are ultimately becoming spiritually disengaged as they get older. Uh, and... This was really our central point in that first sermon. The kingdom of heaven is like a family table. It's messy. It's beautiful. We all have a seat at that great wedding banquet that God has got a special place for you, for your kids, for the young people in our church. Then we dug into the church and we discovered that we have responsibility, that the church is like a family table. The church is a family that it should look a bit like our family table. Sometimes it's a bit messy, sometimes it's a bit noisy, but we're all together doing life together. And the churches that keep their young people, we discover that they look like family. And we also learn about the five-to-one ratio. The five-to-one ratio, which isn't that there's five kids to one adult, it's that there's five adults to one kid, that we should all know, some, know the names of the kids in our church and call them by name and be interested and invested in who they are. Because research says that 70% of young people, well, sorry, young people are 70% more likely to stay in church, to stay connected to faith, if they've got this ratio going on in their lives. That's some good news, right? That we have the ability to impact the lives of the young people sitting in our pews. So today, we're going to learn all about family. You see, the family is the central element of the church. If we have weak families, we are going to have a weak church. If we have strong families, we are going to have a strong church and And church, our families are under attack. They're under pressure. Never before has the family been more under pressure. We can can throw all kinds of assertions out, but I'm here to tell you that we are seeing the family within society change. It's no longer what it once was, what we might think it is, and our families look completely different. There's broken families. They're still families. There's families where there's an abuse and violence that has gone on, that is going on. They're still families. But we as a church have a role, as we discussed last week, in caring and loving and sharing within those families as well. But one thing that I want to talk about today that I want to focus on is something that I'm seeing a lot, that research is seeing a lot, that families are alone together. What do I mean by this? We're going to unpack it. But families are alone together. Never before has there been a loneliness pandemic, epidemic within families like there is today. The research is revealing. Because church, we've got less time for each other. 
We simply do not have the time for one another that we used to have. We've got work. There's something else that we all have. Screens. Screens are impacting our families. And there's some very enlightening research that comes out, but we're going to first dig in to the idea that if we have less time for each other, we're going to struggle to transmit faith to our kids. So why am I here? Why do I have a strong faith? Why am I a pastor or a PK? I should have, I should have decided to leave the church long ago with how, how difficult it can be. I credit this. Now, this is not NRL. This is um, AFL. I call it God's game. If you like uh, soccer or football, I'm sorry. This is what's going to be played in heaven, all right? Now, growing up, I had no option but to go for the Richmond Tigers. Now, if anyone knows anything about AFL, up until 2017, for the previous 35 years, had the Richmond Tigers been successful? No. They were the laughing stock, right? They were the laughing stock of the league. They won a premiership in 1980. I was born in 1996, to make some of you guys feel a little bit old. I was born in 1996, so there hadn't been a premiership for over 14 years before I was born. And my dad thought it was wise to bring me into disappointment, <laughs> to bring me into disappointment and to buy me all the Richmond gear growing up. I remember games at the MCG, and I remember one particular game. My dad uses it as a sermon illustration as well, so I'm going to make it my own for a moment. And I remember this game, and the Tigers were down. That was nothing new. And the fans, they talk about keeping the faith. Keep the faith. It's not over till the fat lady sings. It's not over till the siren goes. And by a miracle, we won that game. And I remember going to countless games. We moved to New South Wales where, where the Tigers would be thrashed by like 15 goals at the SCG by the Swans. Until 2000, 2015, we made it to the finals by, the, by one point against the Swans. We kept the faith. And when Michaela joined our family, when we started dating, she had no option but to go for the Tigers. You see, there's a tradition going on here. This is a part of everything that we do. We wear the colours. We live it out. We follow the game. We keep the faith. We tie symbols around our necks, on our foreheads, on our hands, on our everything that we do when we're supporting the Tigers. It embodies everything. So much so that I even managed to sneak the Richmond Tigers song into our wedding reception. <laughs> My uncles um, encouraged me. Uh, if you're a Pratt, you go for the Tigers. So what does this have to teach us about faith? You see, in, in Victoria, on Monday and Tuesday after the weekend, you talk about the game from the round it just was. And from Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, you talk about the round that is to come. Football is a part of the way of life. But my dad and I, we're constantly messaging back. You'd think we'd be messaging about the church. No, we're messaging about football, about AFL, constantly. It's a part of what 
we do. Shouldn't church be the same as that? Shouldn't church be a part of everything that we do? Shouldn't it be a part of who we are in the disappointment and in the celebration? You see, we managed to win three premierships in four years. After 35 years of disappointment, we kept the faith, we kept the members, the Richmond faithful, the strong and bold. There's all of these sayings that are at a part of who we are as a team. So what about who we are as a church, who we are as families, how we do faith, I believe should look a little bit like that. It's really tough when we're lonely, though. In surveys undertaking in Australia, since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, just over half of respondents reported they felt more lonely since the start of the pandemic. Maybe you've felt a bit lonely since the start of the pandemic. We were shut away from each other, right? But the research is showing that it's not just our communities that we're feeling lonely. Within our own families, we are feeling lonely because young adults, young people, were more likely than any other age group, this was 15 to 30, any other age group to have felt higher levels of loneliness throughout the pandemic. Our young people are lonely Who are we meant to be looking for in our church? Our young people. But they're lonely. And there's even something more that's happening, because in Australia, our families are being driven apart. They're not able to tie symbols. They're not able to have faith impact their lives because they spend, the average teenager spends up to nine hours per day on screens. In the US, it's seven and a half hours. We're worse in Australia statistically. Although the ABS and New South Wales Health are great agencies at keeping this data together. Nine hours. How many days a year, you might ask? That's equal to 136 days each year. 136 days of time on a screen. It's a lot of time. And that's only teenagers. I haven't spoken about the adults yet. Because I think we're just as bad. In one of uh, the more formative works on technology and the way that technology interplays with society recently, this was from 2011, this is really before things even kicked off even uh, in a a more crazy way in digital technology. But Sherry Turkle, in her book Alone Together, she says, children compete with mobile phones for their parents' attention. I'm going to repeat that. Children compete with mobile phones for their parents' attention. Those children, meanwhile, are absorbed in the digital world in a way that older generations with memories of analogue living can barely comprehend. We're in a competition for our kids. It's not with the world church. It's not with some other crazy things. It's with something that is in our own homes. A screen. I'm not poo-pooing technology here. I'm not being negative about technology. I'm the first person that loves technology. But it's having a profound impact. So, 
in the midst of all of this, how do we transmit faith to our children? Because we want them, right? We want them, we, we want them to know God and to have faith. We ourselves need to know God. We need to model faith. And that looks like making some pretty profound decisions ourselves of the way that we're going to do family, of the way that we're going to do church, on the way that we're going to be grandparents. We're going to model it. And when we model it, what does that create? It creates a practice. It creates a practice. It creates a way of living. It's something that becomes a part of who we are and the things that we do. It isn't just something that we do on Sabbath. It's something that we do every day of the week. And I think the Bible provides a pretty good guide for doing this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in a spot that might seem a little strange to you, but we're hopefully going to land it in a really profound section of the Bible. We're going to go to Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. This is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. The first commandment. What is that? In Mark 12, 29 to 31, it says, Jesus answered, Regarding what the first commandment, what the greatest commandment is. Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. So where do kids come in here? This that verse is the Christian practice. It's the way that we practice our faith. When we dug through Ephesians recently, all of these things came to bear that our practice impacts the way that the next generation, the way that the people around us will practice faith as well. So do we, church, model love thy God and love thy neighbour in our homes? Do we model it? Because this is meant... This passage is meant to be modelled, it's meant to be practised, meant to be a part of who we do because its roots were intended for that purpose. There's two locations mainly that this whole that Jesus was referencing here. Um, so Mark 12, 29 to 31, it was referencing both Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 and Leviticus 19, 34. We're going to go through these in just a moment. It took those two passages and brought them together and Jesus said these are the greatest commandments. Because it has the two parts. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 was love God. And Leviticus 19.34 is all about love thy neighbour. We discover that in Deuteronomy as well. So what's Leviticus 19.34? It is that when an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So because God is our God, we, his people, should love the foreigners, should love the different, should love the unknown in our community as though we love ourselves, right? That's a call to model, to do. Because God, he was talking to the Israelites. He sets out to the Israelites the way that we should be behaving to one another. 
to foreigners and not from their house. We've got to remember that in Leviticus, these were given to the Israelites to help them recognise how far away from what God had called them to. They come out of slavery and they were about to go and experience a land that had more than they could ever need. They were in the middle. Where, church, are we in a world today that we have more that we could ever need? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're in a world that's flowing with milk and honey. We can have, depending upon the supply chain due to COVID, anything that we want immediately. Gratification has never been more immediate in our society. If you want a dopamine hit, just open up your phone and flow down TikTok. That's what it's designed for. Right? The Israelites were about to enter a space that was really complex. And because they were about to do this, God gave Moses the inspiration to set this before them. This passage is called the Shema. And I put it all together because I think it's important. I know it's small. I'm going to read it out. The Shema. Now, does anyone have any idea what the word Shema might mean? Hear. To hear. When we hear something in our modern culture, do we action it or not? No. But in Jewish, this word shema, it wasn't just something you took in, it was an active expression as well. Shema was something you heard and you did. You heard and you did, right? It was an active, there was an active part involved in the shema, in hearing that word. So this, this Shema, this is my favourite passage in the Bible. I always say that, but for me this is central because it talks about what we as a church, what the Israelites needed to do to ensure the continuation of their faith. It wasn't just, this is great, I'm feeling good on, on Sabbath and I'm going to go home and I'm going to go back to my life. No, this was to invade every part of their lives. This is what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you rise, bind them as a size on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is a call, church. This is a call that, for I believe, requires action because when we, this word Shema appears, it isn't just about hearing and thinking that it's good. It's about doing the expression. In the Shema, there's a call to teach these things to your children they literally bound the commandments to their hand and their forehead. I'm not asking you to walk around with a box on your hand or your forehead. I'm asking you to metaphorically change the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we are, should be in the way of God. Because if we are modelling and if we are practising, we're going to share that with our kids I want to go through one, one other word. I think this is an interesting word. This, this word means love. You might say a hava is a hava. Um, should have probably been VD there in the center, depending on your transliteration. This word for love. 
It's a really interesting word because it ties in with the idea of hearing, of the Shema. Because when we love, this isn't just any sort of old love. This is love God. This isn't everything love. This idea of love found here is that we love God with everything. It's a deep sense of who God is that drives this kind of love. Because God is good, because God is gracious, because God is all of those, these things, I will love him with everything. I will love him with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. We find in Mark 12, 29 to 31, that there is a call to love our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. When we love God in this way, I believe that we are duly called to model faith to those around us, to do faith. Faith, Christianity, isn't just a Saturday thing. Adventists don't only worship on Sabbath. That's not the only day that we should be worshipping. We are called through the Shema and through the greatest commandment and through being stewards of the everlasting gospel to be 24-7 Christians. We're not just Seventh-day Christians. We should be 24-7 Christians. These words, the Scriptures, they should be in our hearts. And because they're in our hearts, we should be placing them on our children's hearts on the things that we do, on the way that we are, because I believe that the love of God should become a part of my practice. Right? My love for God should become a part of the way that I treat others, the way that I care for others, the way that I love others. The world needs this kind of love. We're lonely, we're isolated, we're all living in our own world, in our own room, on our screens, that we can't do family together. Because I think this love should be done in such a way that we communicate it to others. That it's something that, that becomes infectious in the best possible way. That this goes to our loved ones and to our community. Because purely and simply, the Shema is a call to model faith to our children. Mums and dads in the room, the research that I showed you in my last sermon said that mothers and fathers were the single biggest contributor to their children's faith. Mums and dads, I'm going to repeat that, are the single biggest contributor to the children's faith, I come in a lowly fifth place. I still have an influence, but I'm not going to be able to do all the work that you can do. I can't model what faith looks like in the car when I'm driving. I can't model what faith, what loving Jesus looks like when I'm at work. I can't model what faith, what Jesus looks like when I'm doing the dishes at home with, with our kids. I can't model what faith looks like in your family worship. And mums have got a very special contribution, but research is now showing that fathers are absent from their kids' faith lives. And because of that, kids are having much worse 
outcomes. In fact, it says that the kids that have a father that is active in, their, in, the, uh, in the faith of their children, their kids are up to 60% more likely to stay in the church. Now, that isn't to negate what mums are doing because mums, you model their faith every single day in the way you love and care for your kids as well. But this research is showing that fathers, that the masculine influence on a kid's faith journey is really, really important. And you might be in a single mum household here today. Let me tell you this, this isn't a hopeless moment. There's really good godly men in our church that I believe are called to model faith to the kids of our church, to be mentors. Remember that five to one ratio? That's why that's so important, because we all need to be modelling faith to the kids in our church. It doesn't matter, church, if you're 90, if you're 100, or if you're only just a young adult, you have a special responsibility to model faith to the young people here. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for anyone. I'm sorry. So when we model faith, what do we do? How do we... You might be going, I've never modelled faith. Breaking the news to you, you already are modelling faith through what you do. It's in the way that we do family, our traditions, the way that we talk. You see, because in my family, this, this invades a lot of our conversation. When I'm on the phone, we talk about faith and we talk about the tigers. At least my dad and I. When I call my uncles, the first thing we talk about is the game on the weekend and how disappointed we were that we lost by six points to the Swans. We should have got that free kick. We should have won. That's not an insult to the AFL umpires, I'm sorry. But... It's a part of who we are, is what I'm trying to tell you. When we model it, we have to be honest. Is anyone here perfect before God right now? No. Be honest. Son, daughter, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm really sorry I treated you that way. I'll try to do better and do better. This is a tough question for you. Who are you when no one is looking but your kids? Who are you when no one is looking but your kids? Coming from a pastor's kid home, I think this felt a little bit different sometimes. But I still think that it fits with all of our households. You see, in our household on Sabbath We just had to make sure that we were doing and we were looking all right. We generally, Dad was really, really honest with me and with my sister that he'd say, look, I'm having a really tough time with the church at the moment. It's not really fair. And remember that it's not the people. Sorry, it's not not God that's doing this. It's people that are doing this, that are are messing up. Because none of us are perfect. What image of God are you taking home to your children? What image of God are you taking to your friends? Is it an angry, vengeful, authoritative God? 
Or is it a loving, kind, gentle, gracious God with a, with a firm hand guiding? Because that is the image of God that our kids will have. Who you are at home, that's the image of God that kids will take away. I can preach love every single Sabbath. I can preach grace every single Sabbath. But if you're doing the opposite and showing a different God at home, it's not going to work out. What's another way, church, that we can model God? I believe, God, I believe that serving is one way that we can model God and faith to our kids. We've got a serve day coming up on the 26th of June. I'd encourage you to come with your kids to model doing faith together. There's opportunities to do this. It's not like it's difficult. It's just a matter of signing up because when we serve God as a family, something happens. It's in action. But then also when we as an adult serve as a godly example for our family, when we live out our genuine walk with God and we demonstrate true repentance when we fall short, something really amazing happens. People see a real, living and alive God in their parents who is walking with them day by day. And we often, I often hear this, this phrase thrown out. I often hear people say, oh, they got to university and the world invaded their minds. It was, it was university's fault that they left the church. I'm not saying that there's not tough questions that get asked because there are tough questions that the world is going to throw at our young people. If you're young, you might agree with this, that there are tough questions, right? But doubt, church, is not toxic to faith. Silence is. If we're silent on these big questions with our kids in our homes, that's toxic. Faith isn't real. You're not wrestling with with God on these big things because our kids are already wrestling with God on these big questions. People, young people, want conversations in response to their hardest questions. They don't just want answers. My dad, in his previous job, when he was Children's Family Ministries Director for our conference, he'd drive many, many Ks. And if I went with him, something amazing happened. You see, I don't know about other guys, but we don't generally like to have a face-to-face deep conversation. If we're both looking at the road, whether it's the New England or the Pacific, we'll just talk and talk and talk. When we're driving along the road, bind God's commandments upon our hearts and our minds. That's when we might have a conversation and we talk, whether I was really young or a young adult, we'd talk. We'd talk about the issues facing the Adventist church. We'd talk about theological questions that we have. We'd talk about the challenges that life is throwing at us and how to deal with them. I'm telling you that this is one way that you can model faith to your kids, whether you're driving to school and they're in the car. Don't just turn on the radio. Have a conversation. I remember... Because my mum taught at the school that I attended, uh, when my sister and I would be in the car, we'd fight and squabble over who had the front seat, and we'd sit in the car, and inevitably, in the 10 minutes from Kurumbong to Morissette High School, 
would have ended up in a deep and meaningful conversation. My sister would throw out a curly question as she can that there's no comfortable answer to. Or we'd debrief about what's going on and, and well, mum would share her problems and, and I'd share mine and Madison would share hers. There's opportunities for this modelling to happen in your day-to-day life. It's not a difficult thing to do. It might just be a little bit uncomfortable. And this one for me is a challenge because how do we measure warmth? But family warmth is the number one indicator of faith transmission. It's a weird statement to try and get your head around. By warmth, we're talking about the words such as belonging. Do your kids feel like they belong as a part of your family? We're talking about being real, sharing life struggles. We talk about spending time together rather than time in separate rooms on your phones. Remember that stat that 30% of families eat a meal together. Maybe you're not eating meals together. That's one way to really kick up the warmth in your household. Have a meal, have a discussion, be with each other. You see, that is the only way that we will model. Because church faith transmission is a process. We want immediate outcomes. We want to, have, we want to be assured that our kids are going to stay in the church, right? We want to know that it's definitely going to happen. We want it to be immediate and measurable like a smart goal. Right? We can say in six months' time, everything's going to be sorted. But I'm sorry, in life and in faith, growth is a process. It takes time. It's a lifelong journey. The question is, are you going to journey with your kids? Are you going to choose a young person in this church to go on the journey with? To go with forever in a trusting relationship. The disciples were trying to work out what was going on here with this kind of question. And they they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? What must we do to measure up? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him and who he has sent. What is his pistuo? It's also to trust, trust in him, to trust God. Do we trust God enough to model faith to our kids? Trusting in God is our primary calling, church. It's a primary calling that God has for our kids and for us as we develop and keep our faith together, as we model it with one another. So this Shema, what does it look like? I'm going to read it again and I'm going to paraphrase, church. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children when they wake up and when they go to sleep. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're driving to school. Talk about them when you lie down and when you rise. Make them a part of the things that you do, the actions, 
in the things that you think and say to your kids. And make them, it says to write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Church, maybe you need something physical in your house to remind you that God is in this place. In our houses, we've never been more alone together. God wants us to just be together, to experience family, to experience warmth. I want faith, I want the faith process to be like this, for it to be something that we're willing to be proud about, whether we're in a good time or whether we're in a bad time, whether we're winning or losing. God calls us to go on the faith journey with one another. As we finish up church, our church, our homes, our world is facing problems, issues that we just haven't worked through yet. I want you to do them with God. I want you to write them upon your hearts and upon your hands and make them a part of everything that we do because only when we do that will we truly model faith to our kids. We truly model faith to our church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the fact that, that the Shema encourages us to do life in a trusting relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that, that as we go from this place that we won't just have heard words, that, that, that we might do something about this problem in our households. We might make faith a central element of who we are and that we might make faith a central element of what we do. God, go with us today. Go with us as we drive from here, as we go from here. And I pray that you will be right upon all that we think and do. Wonderful name we pray. Amen.